Okay. So we're going to be recording this, by the way. Uh, we, we put all of our programs, by the way, on our website. It's nursinghome411.org. All of our materials, everything that I talked about today, is available for free in a variety of hopefully user-friendly forms. But anyway, um, with the Long-Term Care Community Coalition, again, we're a nonprofit organization. We are entirely dedicated to empowering residents and to improving resident care and quality of life. Our work focuses on systemic advocacy. So we don't generally help people individually. We analyze um, the laws and the regulations and how they are being effectuated to improve, um, hopefully to improve it in care, to make sure that they receive the care and the treatment that they need. We are a statewide coalition uh, across New York State. We've, the Suffolk County Amazon Program has been a member of our coalition for many, many years. So at the New York City Amazon Program, the Nassau County Amazon Program, the Hudson Valley, we have, I guess, about a half dozen Amazon programs, also AERP, uh, several Alzheimer's Association, uh, Caring Kind in New York, several uh, aging and disability excuse me, organizations from across New York State, and then some individuals as well who have joined us to support our mission. So we are all, as I said before, resident-focused. And the reason why I emphasize that is we do try to work with the industry at times, but we don't take money from the industry. We don't take contributions from them. And they cannot be members. We are entirely dedicated to the consumer voice. So that's, uh, you know, really important for you to know. We actually now also house the Hudson Valley Amazon program. So a couple of years ago, New York State, uh, regionalized the Amazon program, and we uh, we bid for and we, we got the contract for the Hudson Valley program. So we run a local Amazon program such as this one in six counties in the Hudson Valley. I've been with the coalition since 2002, so this is my 15th anniversary, and I've been the executive director since 2005. Oops. Okay. There we go. So what am I going to talk about today? I'm going to provide you with an overview of the nursing home system, how the system works um, in terms of policy, in terms of the law. We'll focus on the nursing home reform law, which is the federal law, which regards, excuse me, in respect to all nursing home care for every licensed nursing home in the country. And then I'm going to focus a bit on what is happening now in terms of changes going on. There's some major changes happening with the nursing home standards and what's going on with them and what things that we need to know. So, and please interrupt me if you have any questions. If not, I do have time at the end for, for Q&A. And we are really here as much as possible to provide you with technical support. So, again, our website is nursinghome411.org. Uh, my email is richard at ltccc.org, our initials. Uh, we don't have the capacity, again, to help people with individual problems, but if you have questions about the law, um, you can, of course, go to that, or, you know, you guys could, um, if you're looking for materials and information, feel free to come to us. Uh, also, just so you know, the program, we, there's a lot of substance here. Um, we do a lot of work, as I mentioned before, that's focused on the law and how the law is being realized for our nursing home and assisted living and adult home residents. 
don't worry about taking notes. This is, if you have a copy of this program and your materials. We also do a lot of fact sheets, which we'll talk about at the end, but you have a couple of sample fact sheets in your material as, to it as well. So what I try to do is, you know, we do a lot, as I said, a lot of research, a lot of work and advocacy on that gets into the law. How is the law being implemented? Are residents realizing the rights that are promised to them under the law? And too often they're not. So what we do is we do advocacy with the federal government, with the state government, with uh, different state agencies, but we're also focusing more and more on equipping ombudsmen, family members, and residents with information that they can use. So what I try to do in these fact sheets is translate what's going on, what are the regulatory standards, and how can you use them to help your residents. So everything is a one or two pager that you, or you can feel free to distribute. We send them out for free, that said that you can make copies as well. But we really want to support um, your work and your advocacy and your education of residents and their families and facilities. So getting back to what we're going to talk about today is, in a nutshell, the nursing home system. So virtually every nursing home in, in New York and in the United States participates in Medicaid and or Medicare, generally both. And participate is a government word. It means that they participate in those programs, they take money. They take $10 or more any amount of money from Medicaid or Medicare, they are said to participate in the program, and in doing so, they agree to meet all of the standards provided for in federal law. And that's why it's so important. States can have additional protections, but no state can have less protection than what federal law requires. So, for instance, most states now require that nursing homes have minimum staffing standards, minimum staffing. Say it's three hours of resident care time or four hours of, of care time per resident per day in staff hours. New York is one of the minority of states that does not have minimum staffing. And as a result, I would say as a result, our staffing levels are amongst the lowest on average in the country. We're in the bottom 20%, unfortunately. That's one way in which states can have higher protections over the federal law requires. Another way is that some states require that a nursing home have an RN in the facility 24 hours a day. New York is one of the states that requires that, but that's not part of federal law. Federal law only requires that you have access to an RN 24 hours a day. In New York, we require that an RN be there. I think that's really valuable. So those are some of the ways, but basically everything that I ever talk about, anything in our materials is all based upon federal law. Um, sometimes you'll see references just you know, to New York law. New York law pretty much replicates exactly what's in the federal law. That's what states do is they, they adopt the federal requirements, but I always talk about, about federal requirements, and then if there's anything in addition, we'll let you know in our materials and our programs. Lastly, it's really important to know, I think, that federal protections, everything we talk about, apply to every single resident in the facility. Not just Medicaid residents, not just Medicare residents, not private pay residents, whatever it is, everyone is included. When again, when a nursing home says, I'm going to, says, I want to take public money, they say, I have to meet these standards for everyone. They cannot discriminate based upon your funding source. That is really important because 
unfortunately we see in our experience and our advocacy that oftentimes a resident is discriminated against and that's not legal. So how do we, that's something that we can advocate for because we know that the, that the resident has the right to the same kind of care that everyone else gets. What I'm going to do is talk a little bit about the nursing reform law. Now, this is my Aunt Hilda, who was in Wisconsin nursing home for, for many years. Um, she lived to be over 100. It wasn't a great nursing home, to be honest. And I actually just looked at it recently. It's now a one-star facility, which is the worst level of nursing home. I, I agree. Oh, really? Oh, really? It's going down the slope. Yeah. It's, um, yeah I, I was really surprised because it wasn't that great when she was there. She died, I want to say, two or three years ago. Um, but I, when I looked, I happened to look this week, and I saw that it was a one-star facility, and that really surprised me. Uh, and we could talk at something, when I talk about one-star facility, the federal government rates nursing homes from one to five stars, one at the bottom. But this is something about which we have a lot of expertise that I'm always happy to share. I could come back. We also do free webinars that I'll talk about every month that talk about what's going on. So you can kind of plug in and say, well, what's going on in my nursing home? How does my nursing home rate? And why that nursing home compare is a great way to do that. But yeah, it's now a one star facility. Anyway, that's my, my end Helga. And, um, so we talked about the nursing home reform law. What happened was in the late 70s and early 80s, yes, sir. Instead of one to five stars, where can I go online? If you go to, it's called nursing home compare. You just did a search for nursing home compare and it's on the medicare.gov website. Um, so they have actually a you know, hospital compare, they have hospice compare, I think there's doctor compare, there's a number of them where they use different criteria. To, it's actually medicare.gov forward slash nursing home compare, but I think if you just go to Google or Bing or whatever and do nursing home compare, you should be able to find it. You're very welcome. Um, so in the late 70s, early 80s, there were increasing scandals in nursing homes in our country. And as a result of that, the um, Congress passed and, and uh, President Reagan signed into law the Nursing Home Reform Law of 1987. It's also called OBRA 87. Uh, it requires that every nursing home resident, again, no matter who pays their care, is provided the care services, quality of life services that each of them needs to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable physical, emotional, and social well-being. I know that's a mouthful, but these, so I'm going to spend a little time talking about it. The law is really special. It's a, it's a really special law, and it's something that I am honestly thankful for pretty much every day. Most laws that go to, for instance, if you think about a law for, for Chrysler or for Ford, et cetera, they say, you know, for automobile emission, uh, emission you can only uh, emit so much lead in your fleet in the course of a year, or your fleet has to meet an average of this this many miles per gallon. The nursing home reform law is focused on the individual. It says when you take someone in, you have to provide them with the services that they need so that they can attain the highest well-being, their highest ability that they're capable of and maintain them. So that's really, it means that we have an expectation that the nursing home is going to focus on the resident not focus on their business, the way, say, Ford does or someone else that has that kind of criteria. It's really, really important and really special. And all the regulations really go to that. How is a nursing home ensuring that a resident attain or maintain his or her highest 
physical, emotional, and social well-being. So, for instance, my aunt, and it wasn't a great nursing home when she was there, but my mother and my, um, this is my great aunt, my mother and my aunt used to laugh because she um, she was getting occupational therapy a couple of times. They walked her down the hall, and she was in her 90s, occupational therapy. That was a big joke because she wasn't going to be working ever again. Right. But the point was is that if she could walk with assistance, that she didn't become bedbound. That's what we're talking about here. So if you can walk with assistance, they have a responsibility to ensure that you don't lose your ability to walk. If you can go to the bathroom with some help, they are not supposed to be putting you into a diaper and saying, sorry, we don't have enough staff. She's taking you to the bathroom. Go in your diaper. We'll come back later. We'll clean you up. That is not legal. And I understand, unfortunately, that's something that we see a lot of. If we didn't see a lot of it, my job wouldn't be necessary, and your important, important work would not be necessary either. The fact of the matter is, is we have to be there to say we know, you know, help residents to know what their rights are and how to realize them. And my grandfather was in the nursing home also on, on 347. I forget where exactly in Suffolk County. And, you know, my mother had, this is before I worked here. Um, it might have been stuck. Uh, um, a couple of them closed, I think, or changed hands since it was a while ago. I think that for 15, more than 15 years before I started the shop. But in any case, you know, my mother, you know, you know, she accepted. And my mother's a pretty tough lady. <laughs> but she accepted things because that's what the nursing home said that they were going to do. And she just accepted. And now I'm like, well, I don't tell her. I don't want her to feel badly. But that, you know, this is, we have a right to so much more. And I know, oh, you know, I do a lot of work with, with family councils and family members as well. I know that it's extremely challenging. And I family members, sometimes they look at me when I talk to a, a, a family council and they're angry because what I talk about in the formula is so different from the experiences that they're seeing for their loved one. And I'm sure that's the case for you all, which is why I wanted to talk about it. But if we are not knowledgeable about what these rights are and even starting to help them speak out about it, then we can be sure they'll never be realized. It's only by speaking out that we can make at least some incremental changes and push back against um, against the nursing home industry, which too often, I mean, there's some, there are some good nursing homes out there, but for the most part, they're really looking to cut back on staffing and to maximize the amount of money that goes either to administration or to profits. That's what we see over and over again. Yes, sir. And given that in New York we have low on the minimum number of staffing, what would you say to that bit, especially in the academy? We didn't have enough people. Well, as I said, it's, it is very difficult, but I, what I do and what I recommend to people is to come back to with those individual rights so that person has the right. And if you're able to get to, uh, you know, to work with your resident and family council so that they can um, make these recommendations or, or, or make grievances to the facility that get to the staffing, then that pushes back. Um, so there's, there's a number of different ways to do it. Now, the new... Um, the new regulations actually require that every facility have a grievance officer. So every facility now has to have someone who's assigned to handle someone's grievances. So to get to what you're saying, in the past, someone might, maybe my mother would say, look, my father is being put in a diaper and he's sitting in a diaper for hours. That's not right. Uh, he, has to, he has to eat his dinner in a dirty diaper. That's terrible. Um, 
And and so the CNA will say, oh, we're going to take care of it, or I'm sorry, we're too over here, but I can't take care of it. The RN says, oh, we're going to take care of it, or, you know, I, you know, I'll get back to you on that, and they never do. But So the new regulation kind of addresses that. That's why these regulations are so important. The new regulation says you have to have a grievance officer, so there's someone there who's going to tell you when you could expect it to hear back from them, and the new regulations require that the facility um, either – do what you do what you say. Respond to your grievance by making a change, or give you a reason why they're not going to do it. So they have to have a, a reason, and the family or the resident can now request that that be in writing. They have until November of seventeen. Yes, until November of seventeen. So, and we'll talk about this later on. But the regulations are being implemented over a three-year period. So, not everything is in place now, but this is is now what we're what we're implementing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Because yeah. they, they should be doing this now, but, but really the, in, in this coming November is when the, um, the guidelines and everything will be published. So they'll be more clear. So yeah, it's a little bit fuzzy and, and it's confusing. Let me take this question starting from here. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about, um, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, someone being put in a diaper and left there. What is my concern, one of the concerns I have is residents who need to be uh, put in their wheelchair or get out of bed with a lift, and once they're put in that chair, they're there for the rest of the day until they get put back to bed for the most part. So how does that, how do we address that? Um, well, the... The care plan, you know, the resident assessment and the care plan, to me, is always like a one-two punch. Because the resident assessment has to really look at what is what is the resident's potentiality, what is, what is his ability, what are his our desires in terms of what she wants to do, and what, so what gets the clinical and it gets to the quality of life. And all that you have a right to have in the, in the uh, assessment. And the care plan has to be based upon the assessment. So we actually have, I think it's one of our, it's one of my favorite fact sheets, is on resident assessment and care plan. And it has a checklist of all the things directly from the federal requirements. So this gets back to, and I can, all these are in, in fact sheets. So you don't have to memorize any of this. My, you know, just to backtrack is when you have an issue, we can go to our website and say, you know what, I, I know, I'm, I know I have family members that are going to a, that, oh, that are interested in. Hi. Oh, that's Sorry about that. So, you don't have to memorize all this. I know it's a lot of information, but if you go to our website, we have a section just of for resident and family advocacy. We have a learning center. They've actually both go to the same place, and all the fact sheets are there, and webinars are there, et cetera. So you can just do a search or scroll down and see. Hmm. I know I'm going to be talking to my um, family members this week about resident assessment or resident care planning. I can just go to that. You don't have to memorize or, 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 or write all these things down. We have things for you that you can print out. We're happy to send you printouts as well. You know what I'm saying? So, so can, they, can they be given to family members? Absolutely. Yeah, please do. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And administration. And a lot of the families that we've worked with do give it to administration. Let them know these are their rights. For each one of these, by the way, and we'll talk a little bit more about them um, later on, is I have a little bit of par a paragraph or, or two at the beginning just explaining why the issue might be important, and then I have the law. 
And what I what I used to tell my family members, I did a, a program for a year and a half with two um, two family councils in New York City, is you don't have to say some bald guy came in in March and told me I have these rights and take my word for it. Is that for each one of the regulations I have an the exact language that you can take this and show. And I also have with 42 CFR, which I explain up here, is the federal code of regulations. So again, you know, if someone wants to just punch that into Google, they could come up with it. You don't need to, because I've done that for you. But if you don't trust what I've done, uh, or they don't trust what I've done, you have backups. And then the second part of every single one of these is a, you know, is a box saying these are some things for you to think about, or for family members to think about, or for residents to think about. So please do share them. We really want them to get out there. That's that's really the whole purpose of my being here and the projects that we're doing is, you know, with webinars and with these uh, fact sheets is to get the word out because if we don't have good enforcement from the state, the only thing that's left, and we'll talk about this more, is I think for the ombudsman to be aware and to help families and residents be aware and to self-advocate. You get what we were talking about before. Yes, sir. No, we're only talking about nursing homes. So that that's really important. Is that, um, and you know, we always do another program, or, or we do webinars on this as well. Which everything is free. Everything we do is free. Um, you know, take it any way you like to. But the all the regulations that I'm talking about today go to nursing homes. Some assisted living are great. Some of them are crummy. But unfortunately, there's no federal requirements around assisted living. So it's buyer beware, caveat emptor. You, you, you could have a good place. You could have a bad place. They could change their mind next week and decide they're not going to provide different services. It's really, um, you don't have, nursing homes, you know, not the greatest places to live, but at least, you know, you have some, some requirements there and some standards. You don't have that necessarily for assisted living. There's some state standards, but they're much more lax. I mean, enforcement, the oversight, is much more likely to well. get down. So. Is there any in-service training for the administrators? <laughs> there is a ton of training for administrators. This is something that really bugs me. Um, is that I get a lot of materials that are aimed at nursing home owners and administrators. But there is a ton of educational materials that's there. And CMS does educational materials. For them. And I, I, I just wrote something to CMS is a federal agency. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I just wrote to them I said, the other day, and I said, look, you've done all this to educate providers. Providers are already being paid to meet these standards. These standards have been in place since 1987. What are you doing to inform ombudsmen and to inform residents and families about their rights? Um, that's actually recommended. I just, just, just released a report yesterday, and that was one of our recommendations. So, can, I'm yeah. sorry, can everybody put their phones on mute, please, or turn them off? Thank you. Do you have any questions in overhead before we move on? No, I think we can bring it down. Okay, thank you. So I want to just get, so the, the reform law is really a very special law. Again, it focuses on the individual. It really has a lot of requirements. And importantly, as I note here at the end, you know, in terms of highest practicable physical, <coughs> emotional, and social well-being, this is what we pay for. This is what, when a provider says they're going to, they're going to participate in Medicare or Medicaid, this is what they need to do. And lastly, and important, this is what every single resident deserves. And from when I first started, I was like, well, whose mother is it okay for not to have good care? 
you know, I mean, who, who is that? Who is that okay? But somehow we allow, as a society, poor care to go on and on and on. So my role, again, is to say, you know, the regulations are really good. Let's focus on this. Let's do what we can from every angle, from the top, from, from working directly with residents, from the top, I mean, with the, you know, federal government and state government. Let's push to make this better because it's so unfair to me. You have people who, as you know, are really vulnerable who are only going to these places because they need 24-hour daycare and monitoring. And when they're not getting it, I'm sure many of you have seen, the results can be really heartbreaking. Who would, who would want that for, for themselves or anyone that they cared about? Yes, sir, and I'm going to move on. Okay, more question. question about where you will go back to where they move to relieve themselves and they pay to the office back. regulation upon regulation. I mean, I think it's important. There, there are a couple of things here that, one, if you know that the resident has the right to, to receive that care and he or she is not getting it, one, you can help them file a complaint. You can do you can an intake. Um, that's why, and we'll talk about this also later on, that's why your reporting is so important. Um, because you're right. I mean, the reason, as I said before, the reason why I'm here, the reason why you all are here and why your work is so incredibly important is because we don't have the effective oversight that we need. Um, so in the absence of that, what can we do? So yeah, there are a lot of people who are in that boat. That's why I use that example. Um, and my grandfather was one of them. And my mother didn't realize that she had, you know, that, that, it, that that was wrong for him. Um, but so I think there's a, there's a number of things we can do and it's not an easy solution. I mean, none of these unfortunately are easy. If not, if we would go in once a year. We would not. We would not be needed at all. But we need that monitoring, for, you know, you know, on a regular basis. And that's why. You know, I know that there's a lot of work for the ombudsman. But your job and your role is so important because if you weren't there, that issue would never have gotten have, have, have a lot of day. Um, so it's it's not an easy answer. I mean, sometimes you're able to do it because you're there. Sometimes you're able to do it because you told me. And I meet quarterly with the head of CMS, of the nursing division for the country. And I could say that, to her, and I've done that. After me, after talking to Amazon or to family members, they say, look, this is not what's going on. You have to do something. 
And again, so what the new regulations are trying to do is, is to put more teeth in it, to say, you know what, you just can't pass along that complaint until it's living in, and people either get frustrated or give up. Now they have a right to have a response. So it's not going to help that woman that day, You're right? But hopefully it'll push the nursing home to say, you know what, we need, you know, it'll push them to, to identify that they need to have more staff there. Right, but if you're not, and this, this is this is an important point. So, but if, if we are not advocating and saying these services that you are required to provide are not being provided right now, without enforcement, they say oh, we don't have enough staff, and they get away with it. But if we're able to advocate and say, you know what, you have to have the staff provide that. Because what federal law requires is they have to have sufficient staff to meet these requirements. So it's not a set number, and that's been the issue. But if you have issues, if there are problems like this, which is. Right. It says that your initial state, I'm talking about the state of the it, it gives us more tools. It's not, it, not nothing is, is an easy answer because it's a very sophisticated industry. No, and, and yes, yes and no, but the point is, is that this gives more teeth to the idea that they have to have sufficient staffing because it, and this is a major issue for us in the work that we do is, you know, I look at the enforcement and I say, how often, if we have a, a pressure ulcer rate, does anyone know what a pressure ulcer is or a bed sore? If you have a pressure ulcer rate of 9%, when the CDC says that almost every pressure ulcer is treatable or preventable with appropriate care, I tell this to CMS all the time, how are you tying this to staffing? Why aren't you making the states tie this to staffing? But let me go back, because we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but these are, these are tough issues, and that's why you guys have the certification training. I mean, there are other volunteer opportunities that I'm sure are much easier that are, but what you do is so important because you do provide the eyes and the ears and you do provide a voice for residents where they wouldn't have one at all. And before the OMSA program, before the nursing home reform law, as I said before, they were really scandalous conditions. And I remember visiting my great-grandmother in a nursing home. It smelled terrible, which you don't generally see as much of anymore. It smelled bad. She was slumped over in a wheelchair all, all day, and she was she was doing something with rubber bands. Like, they gave her rubber bands to play with. It was, it was bizarre. I mean, I remember that from when I was seven or eight. So, we, you know, things have gotten better, but they've only gotten better because of the law and because we've been able to advocate. So all these things are important, but there's no slam dunk, to be honest. It's just, it just generally isn't. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the law and how it fits in with some of the oversight and what we do. Uh, so again, the emphasis is on the individual. Talking about how are you going to be caring for the individual? And our push and our systemic advocacy is, is saying to CMS, how are you making sure that the industry does this? How are you making sure that the states are citing for it? Because they're not citing for it now. You see too much poor care that we know goes on and facilities get away with it. They're not fined, they're not cited, so nothing happens, so they just continue that poor behavior. Um, again, I just want to emphasize this, every facility that takes in Medicare or Medicaid money is paid to have sufficient staff, 
and to provide the appropriate services to ensure that every resident is able to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable well-being. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they unfortunately, from my point of view, buy into they hear from, from, from the nursing home, oh, we don't have enough staff, we have trouble hiring staff, we have trouble keeping staff. We've done a lot of research on this. When I first started, my predecessor was actually doing a study with RNs and LPNs and CNAs in nursing homes, six nursing homes in New York. And she did interviews with them. What she found was that the biggest complaint wasn't money. I mean, we all can use more money. Their biggest complaint was respect, that they were treated disrespectfully by the administration and was fed into that one, you know, the RN self-disrespected by the higher level, the LPN self-disrespected by the RN, and the CNA self-disrespected by everybody. Um, and that the work working conditions are so terrible that it's impossible for, for them to do a good job. So, you know, the nursing homes complain, oh, it's hard time hiring staff or keeping staff. It's just because they set up a system that is impossible to continue. And we allow that to happen. So, again, my pushback and the reason why I'm mentioning is that, is that we are entitled to have and they are required to provide sufficient tip. A lot of these places are making enormous profits. The guy who owns in Wisconsin, I remember when he bought it, what one I think to do, if I remember correctly, at the same time, is that these are oftentimes highly profitable companies. A lot of my work, again, is systemic, so I know, I can tell you, that there is virtually no accountability when they get money to pay for a resident's care there's virtually no accountability for how they spend that money. So what we see is they put a lot of money into administration uh, and not a lot of money into staffing. Staffing is the biggest expense, as you can imagine, um, for, that goes towards resident care. So that's why we have short staffing. They don't want to spend the money on that. But too many nurses say, we don't have the money. We don't have the money to do that. We had someone from the Attorney General's office many years ago who spoke at our coalition meeting. And I remember he said, said you know, the, the, the nursing home owners are always complaining to me. They're upset that we're, that we're cracking down on them, that we have these big fines from the Attorney General's office, and uh, they can't stay in business. And he said, well, that's really interesting because any time we close down a facility, there's always a lineup of people who want to buy it. <laughs> what you, everyone is, is, is running a charity? No. Obviously, there's money there. The thing is, again, and I won't get into too much detail, but there is, you can pay your administrator as much as you want. We have administrators who are making hundreds of thousands, sometimes even over a million dollars a year to, to run their facility. Um, there's nothing to say that you can't pay for their Jaguar. There's nothing, to, nothing no limits. There's, no, there's nothing to say that if you, if you hire someone to provide your laundry services or your meal services, that you can't hire your brother to do that at double the rate. That's, that's normal. There's nothing to stop them from doing it. So those are the things that, that we see happening. We see people that are selling the underlying property and then renting it back for exorbitant amounts of money. So that also, so it's like if I say, you know, some of I'll say to someone, if I paid myself $200,000 a year, my organization would be in the red. I'd say, oh, well, my organization's falling apart. I don't have enough money. Yeah, of course, because I'm paying myself a ridiculous amount of money for the size of my organization. But no one is stopping. There's no. There's just no accountability on that end to that. If they're accepting Medicare and Medicaid dollars, is that information public? Like in a school district, you know how much 
the superintendent makes that's published? Is this information? Yeah, so there's, there is actually a lot available online um, in terms of data on uh, what the average rates are in the state um, and regionally for Medicaid and Medicare. So for a Medicaid resident, they get paid about $200 a day last time I checked. That's $200 a day for Medicaid. For Medicare, they get paid five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars or more a day per day for Medicare. So we see, and some of you might have seen this, is that a lot of facilities, of course, they want to go for the Medicare people because they're so they make so much money off of them, and they make less, much less money off of Medicaid. Um, but it's important. That's why I said everyone is entitled to the same care. Is that our laws prohibit discrimination? And the fact of the matter is, you know, I, 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 I we get funding from different foundations. We do different work. I still have a responsibility to carry out the mission of my organization, no matter if someone's funding me forty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. I still have to do my job, and so do they. Yes, sir. I was reading about this the other day. Not only the 560 that took up your right there, also the spin-off that's here, but you resigning there and you need to be disciplined and adequate to teach them and take care of their health. They will build that revenue for that course. So they get the spin-off. Just like you go to Yankee Stadium, you're stuck there. And if you want a hot dog or a drink, you're going to get the price. Yeah. The same thing with the residents. They pay the, 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 the value for that room, but also the needs they have. They also get make money on that. Yeah, there, there are some add-ons, for, for instance, for people with um, uh, who are bariatric or, or um, locally obese. Uh, there's an add-on for that. So there is, it's a very, very sophisticated industry. I, I want to there, there are some nursing homes, and I know some, some administrators who are really dedicated to providing good care. But to be honest, for the most part in New York and across the country, it is a profit-driven industry. So... Please keep that in mind. I mean, people say, oh, we're losing, we lose money on our Medicaid residents, but how? I mean, I, I could say I lost money coming out here because it cost me $27 to, to come out here, but I'm not counting other things that we are, you know, we get, we get funding from the state to provide education. We get, you know, we get other things. So I didn't actually lose money. Uh, so, don't you say, I'm missing home, so I'm long term here. Is Yes, and again, that's, that's why I said before that they make much more money off the rehab, but their license, we don't have any rehab licensure in New York State solely with rehab license. You have to provide both long-term care and, and rehab care. And that's, that's and this is an issue we're seeing more and more, especially in the New York City area because rents are so high and, and the property is so valuable that they want to really maximize well, that. What have you by the insurance companies promoting that rehab because instead of thinking of long-term care, they want to keep the short term, but the short term is rehab, then they will get a medical insurance company for Medicare, Medicare with the paper. Well, Medic I mean I don't want to get into reimbursement too much, but but um, Medicaid pays for a certain amount because hundred days or so. Um, so there there are things tied to that. Things are changing in New York as a result of mandatory managed um, care. So we're we're seeing some some pushback there. But but essentially I think the point, because I don't want to get too much in you know into detail, is that these are it's a profit-making industry. It's a tremendously profitable industry. And on top of that, on top of the profits, um, is that there is very little accountability for how those monies are spent. Now, so if I went to Cartier and bought pens to my office for $300 a piece, and I could, you know, that would be ridiculous um, when I could buy a pen for, for 50 cents. But no, no one says you can't do that. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. No one says you can't bill for it. 
Well, there's just no, you know, one of the other things that I find providers complain about is that they have, nursing homes complain that they have too many regulations. But the problem is, is that they, they do a lot to skirt those regulations. So anytime there's a new standard, they try, as you were saying before, they try to pack a new diesel around it. Um, and so that's why we need to have so many things because so many of our vulnerable residents are not, Protected. So let's check on the test. We have about an hour. So essentially, if the you know to get back to enforcement, if the regulations are really good, they really provide in detail for um, for good resident care to make sure that you receive the services you need, like my aunt was getting, um, to um, you know so she can continue walking. Now, quality of life services, by the way, were crappy. I mean, they're, they're, she got a cheese sandwich every night. I was sitting in a, in a plastic container by her bed. I remember when I would, we would drop her off in her room. But so, you know, anyway, if the rate, to get back to our program, if the reform law is so good, why are so many nursing homes bad places to live? And essentially it's because of, as I said before, the lack of enforcement. That if you have good standards, but no one is ever holding anyone accountable for meeting those standards, then they don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Is there any financial penalties that are imposed upon us? Well, there, there are. There, there are. This is, this is something about which we focus a lot. You could find out, again, on Nursium Compare, if your facility has had any penalties imposed against it. But unfortunately, um, the state rarely imposes a penalty. So even when, what the gentleman is saying is, you know, a, a, a facility can be cited by the Department of Health. But if the citation doesn't come with a substantial fine, then it's just either it doesn't matter or it's the cost of doing business. If you're only being fined $200, but you saved on having thousands of dollars and having enough staff, do the math. If you don't care about your residents and you're being fined $200, say, you know, once a year or so, as opposed to hiring someone else for forty dollars or $80,000 a year, what do you do? Yeah. Our office received the survey results from the Department of Health. And I am allowed to share that information with you. So if you wanted to see the survey that was completed by DOH, you would see the citations, what they were cited for. And again, um, in a certain period of time, that they have to respond and have a plan of action. And it's online as well. Well, it definitely is, is morally yeah. unacceptable, but also that it's really for fighting for morally, you do have the, the residents' rights which back you up on that. Um, but you're right. I mean, the problem is that for, it's a business for, for, for and, and solely a business. So, you know, you know, I tell people if you're, if you're on Canal Street or at the flea market and you're selling socks that are, that are kind of going to fall apart after a couple of years, that's one thing. That's someone's out two bucks or whatever. But if you're caring, again, for someone who's very vulnerable, it depends upon you for 24 hours a day monitoring and care, then that, it's got to be something different. You have to have a higher expectation and a higher level, from my point of view, of accountability when you fail to meet those, those expectations. So that really gets at the heart, in many ways, of the work that we do. Yes, sir? The facility has to maintain a license, I believe. 
uh, and is to maintain a license. Is that arbitrary and strict to what violations? No, all, so all this. How much of an accumulated violation is the point to So, as I said from the start, every single facility, and, and the vast majority of nursing homes in this country, and, and all the two, I think, in New York State, are licensed, they're, they're considered to be, um, you know, um, they, if they accept Medicare or Medicaid, participate in Medicare or Medicaid, and they are licensed facilities. They have to be licensed in order to do that. A facility can be cited if you have a deficiency from the annual inspection or as a result of a complaint. Or, and then, excuse me, and then once it's cited, depending upon what it's cited for, there is a, it can be fined. It can uh, have other penalties against it, including like they, they won't pay for new admissions to come in. So the facility is prohibited from taking in any new nursing home residents and be paid for, or they could have their, their licensure yanked. Um, so it doesn't necessarily close the facility, but it essentially closes the facilities. Um, that is a very, very rare occurrence. As any of you who've been around for you know, a couple of years know, that almost never happens. Um, you know, so, so someone asked, what do you do with all those residents? I mean, New York State actually, and I, I know we're talking, covering a lot here, and we have more to cover, so I don't want to get too much into details, but New York State has like a temporary management program that someone could bring someone else in to, to manage. So there are things that can be done, but does the state take advantage of that? Rarely. The fact of the matter is all of this is based on the fact that the nursing home industry is extremely powerful. They have batteries of lawyers in Albany and in Washington, D.C. that work to protect every single right of the facility, not of the residents, of the facility. And it's something that we battle over and over again. So it's really important because I know it's hard not to buy in when a facility, you see people running around and there's not enough staff and maybe some of you feel badly for them. And the, the administrator says, you know, we, we just can't hire anymore. We're not able to hire anymore. We can't find anyone. That's baloney. You have a responsibility. You know, I, I had my meeting, my board of directors on Monday and, and I said that, I said, you know, if I didn't do my job, month after month after month, they wouldn't say, oh, maybe next year you can do your job. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. They would say either get your act together or you're fired. But we allow, again, people to take care of, you know, vulnerable, vulnerable individuals who can't walk away. They can't walk out. Not like they got a, a crappy meal in a restaurant. Because I'm never going back there again. They can't leave. But we allow them to do that and, and not meet these standards year after year after year. So, you know, a couple of, so we talked about, you know, a little bit about enforcement. I'll talk more. But essentially, why we're here is as ombudsman, as a consumer advocate, is because when the law, the promise of law is not being implemented by the nursing homes and overseen by the Department of Health, we can come in. We, now, we can't penalize the facility, but we can help residents and families understand resident rights. We can work with the facility and even outside the facility through our larger programs to let the public know, let policymakers know, legislators know that bad things might be going on 
are going on in, in their facilities. So we can make a difference if we know again what our rights are. That's really you know, the fundamental of why of why we're here. Again, just as a note here at the bottom, you, there's, you, there's no reason to memorize everything because you can see all the fact sheets are on our are on our um, website. Also, we have a section of reports, and I do a lot of reports looking at oversight. So if you're interested, we have some ombudsman volunteers um, who are interested in digging deeper. You can find out more about enforcement. You can find out more. You know, in the study I mentioned before that looked at nursing home um, at, at workers' positions. So a little bit, I just want to give a framework now briefly about how enforcement works. So in the United States, we have CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They're based in Baltimore, Maryland. Now they pay for all Medicare and Medicaid services in every setting. So we're talking about nursing homes here, but anywhere there's a Medicare or Medicaid, um, you know, uh, a patient, they pay for it. They are also responsible for all the quality standards. Everything that we talk about comes out of CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. CMS, in turn, pays New York State and the other state to, over, to both pay nursing homes and to oversee that care. So that's why when you have an annual inspection in your facility from the Department of Health, they're paid to do that. It's not something they're doing out of the goodness of their heart. They are paid from CMS to make sure that residents are safe. And as I remind our Department of Health quite often, they're supposed to be doing that to make sure residents are safe 24 hours a day, not just for four days out of the year when they come into a facility. So they have to be responding to complaints better. They have to be listening to families and residents and ombudsmen better. Yes, sir. I think that's very recently. might be on your website. And no, so and, and, and I well, we can talk more about that. We will in our programs in the future. But CMS, um, well, I'll, I'll talk more about the, the regulations. But essentially, now they may be backtracking on some of them. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, including the agreement. But we don't know exactly. So this is the law now. I mean, I can only talk about the law now. And then you should know that anytime anything changes, we update update these right away. So you'll always have the most current information here. But there are a couple aspects. Yes, it's true where they're now saying, you know what, we're going to revisit this because, to be frank, the the Trump administration wants to back back away from some of the regulatory requirements for nursing homes and for other settings. So we're not we're not a partisan organization. We're not a political group at all. But that's that's what's happening. That's what they've stated they want to do, and that's what they're trying to do. As you say, the Department of Health comes in. So who knows when the Department of Health comes in? They're going to start fixing up and doing it. So, well, and that, it's important for you to say that because when we hear things like that, that's how we bring it back to CMS. Those inspections are supposed to be surprise inspections. And I know that I know that that that, that it, it doesn't happen. They're pushing their anniversary. Exactly. Right. 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 So right. 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 And that's why we go back to CMS and say, look, New York State is not doing its job. And facilities know when the, when, you know, too often when the inspectors are going to come in. That's 
against federal law. They're supposed to be doing the surveys, the inspections in a way that is, it's not easy for the facilities to figure out when they're coming. Some of them should be at night, some of them should be on weekends, they should mix up the time of day, they have to be within a nine to 15 month period. Uh, and again, we have more information on this on our website, so I don't want to spend too much time here, but I know it, the program is very information heavy. Um, so CMS contracts with DOH. As I mentioned before, DOH, to be honest, does not do a very good job in ensuring that these regulations are realized for the residents, that they get to have the care and the services that they need. So we have increasingly over the years turned to other state agencies. The New York State MFC is the Medicaid Fraud Control Unit. So they look to see when a, Medica a Medicaid business, such as a nursing home, a hospital, it could be an adult home, if they have committed fraud, if they've taken money and not provided the services that they were supposed to. So we were able to work with the New York State Medicaid Fraud Control Unit to say that if you are providing if you agree to meet this level of services and you're not meeting that level, then you're committing fraud. And so they have held nursing homes accountable sometimes for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes even millions of dollars. So that sends a message. Those are important. But the, they don't have the oversight, they don't have the ability to go into a nursing home every year every single nurse in every year. So they do more spot checking kind of work. They do a lot of undercover investigations. Sometimes they do hidden camera investigations. We meet with them quarterly. Um, we have people on our committee, including uh, ombudsmen who are welcome to join us by phone or in person in the city to meet with the Medicaid Board Control Unit in their New York office. But they have done a lot in terms, I think, pushing pushing nursing homes over the bike, saying, you know, if you're not gonna do this, think it was the, um, uh, uh, Medford Multicare that mm -hmm. wound up paying over $20 million, if I remember correctly, because they had taken money and they not provide this level of services that they were supposed to. So that is, it's a small tool, but it's a very sharp tool. Uh, and then also we have the New York State Comptroller's Office. We've had the controller that has looked at the Department of Health last year and said, you know what, you're not finding facilities the way you should be. I guess just like what Jen was saying before um, about, you know, what, can they find? Yes, they can, but the Department of Health is not fine. The controller who's independent said, hey, we've done a review, and we found you've had a lot of cases where there were citations of failing to meet minimum standards and almost no fines. So um, why, why were there no fines? Uh, I mean, this is, this is a... Um, You've been asked why, why are there no fines? I mean, this is something we, we, there actually have two recent studies that we've done on this. One, uh, last year and one that I just came out with in February. And we found that, that when a inspector goes in, when a surveyor goes in, they don't do a good job of identifying when a resident is harmed. So actually, there's very few citations. They, they, they very infrequently cite the facility. And when they do cite a facility, they only identify that a resident has been harmed less than 5% of the time. So think about that. Now, it's a little bit off what we're talking about, though. It does relate to enforcement. This is exactly the kind of work that I just saying, hey, what's going on here? So in the study that I did um, last year, I looked 
looked at all of the, the rates of pressure ulcers across the country for every single state. Wait, what? Pressure ulcers, uh, in bed sores. Now, as I said before, the CDC and experts have said that if you have sufficient care staff and sufficient monitoring, pressure ulcers are almost always avoidable and they're treatable. But we still have close to a 9% pressure ulcer rate in New York, about 7.5% in the country, and ours is even higher in New York. So all those people are having really uh, pressure ulcer is a terrible and painful thing. It's very dangerous. It's an infection. could lead to death. Um, but it's awful. Um, so what I did was I, I looked at the fat, and I looked at the rate of citations, because there is a category, there is a provision that says in the law, if a resident is um, can avoid getting a pressure ulcer, you have to provide the monitoring services to ensure they don't get a pressure ulcer. And if they're at risk for getting a pressure ulcer, which some residents are, then you have to be doing the monitoring to make sure that they are you know, not getting a pressure ulcer, they're avoidable, and when they do, that they get immediate treatment. But I hear cases all the time where someone someone found, found out that their loved one got, had a pressure ulcer because they smelled it. So no one had awful. Uh, or they just happened to the person's blanket got moved away from their leg and they saw pressure ulcers underneath their, underneath their ankle or in other places. And um, so that means clearly, in my point of view, that no one was monitoring them 24 hours a day. No one was, because was, that's, that's why you're there, to make sure that you're moved every day, make sure you're not sitting in a wheelchair the whole day, because that is a recipe for developing pressure ulcers. Um, so, so what we did, to get back at the question, is we said, look, you cite, um, this is the level of pressure ulcers, 9, 9% of residents, which is over 9,000 residents in New York State. We have 105 or so thousand residents in our nursing home. That means there are 9,000 people today who have pressure ulcers. You were citing, I forget what the, what the citation was, the citation rate was really low. And even when they cite it, this is, this is what really struck me, and I remember it well, even when they do cite, so they made a connection that there was a pressure ulcer and that there was in, insufficient pressure ulcer care or monitoring, they only find that as being harmful to the resident 25% of the time. What is more obvious a, a harm than being, having a wound, having a gaping wound in your body? How could that only be cited at harm 25% of the time? And if it's not cited at harm, to get back to that question, then there's not generally not a fine attached to it. So that's, that's the problem that we're facing systemically. And that is why, again, your monitoring, your voice, you're speaking out for them in the nursing home, with families, with the family resident councils, and in filing the report is so critical because if we don't hear about it from you guys, Chances are we're not going to hear about it at all. And all the work that you do gets compiled into a national database. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I'm looking and I'm looking at how poorly the state agencies are doing in enforcement, I'll look at the national ombudsman data and see, well, here are the complaints. The complaints far outweigh what's going on. There's, there's a big discrepancy. So your complaints are critically, the fact that they get into the system are, is critically important. Do you know the answer to that? There are a, it's, it's, 
there's a lot of different reasons, but but essentially we we have this problem where surveyors um, are either not trained to to identify harm, or there's a lot of pressure put on them politically to not identify harm. And this is something we've been working on since before I and when I started. Is that you know we said to the Department of Health, if I'm a surveyor. And I go into facility and I find a pressure ulcer and I find that there was harm, there was neglect. Because no one came and turned this person, no one came and monitored this person, no one gave them a treatment of skin treatment. Um, if I find out what's harm, then I have to Albany called me up. What did you do? Why did this? What does this blah 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 blah? If I don't find anything, if I turn the other way and I don't find anything, no one ever says anything. We made a recommendation, this is the kind of work we do again. We made a recommendation and said, you know what? If you have a survey team that's not finding harm when they go into the facility, ask them. Ask them, well, well, what did you look at? You know, because make it, don't make it easier to not find any harm because then it's human nature. You're not going to find harm. If you give, if you grill someone and put them through the work, then, then it's only in the most extreme cases where they're going to actually identify harm. And you know, part of the problem is, which I want to, you know, to talk about you know, with you as well, I mentioned before, is that a lot of them buy into what the nursing home said, oh, we don't have enough staff, we can't get the staff, we can't afford the staff. They buy into all that, it's baloney. And I'll use another example before we move on. There was a federal study that came out in 2014 that found that even for the Medicare, now that's Medicare beneficiaries, people for whom they're getting paid $700 on average a day, $700 on average a day, even for those people, the nursing homes, excuse me, one out of one out of three of those residents are harmed within an average of two weeks of being in a nursing home. So it has nothing to do with the money. It's not that the Medicaid residents are only getting paid 200 or 225 or 190 a day. That has nothing to do with it. Even when they got $700 a day, within two weeks, a third of those people were harmed. 59% of that harm they found was the result of inadequate monitoring, poor medication care, or you know other poor care issues. So there is no excuse, no excuse whatsoever. And I was, you know, I, I've been doing this since 2014, so I've been doing this for over a dozen years at that point. I, I, I still get chills when I think about that. Because what chance do you have if you go into a nursing home and 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 of, of being okay, and you have one out of three people people were harmed, these are people that within two weeks, these are people who are getting paid again a ton of money for, but also these are the people who complain. These are people who think they're going to get out in a couple of weeks. These aren't the people with dementia. What, 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 what chance do you have if you are a resident with dementia? What chance do you have if you don't have a family member or an active ombudsman who is monitoring your care? It scares the hell out of me, to be honest. It really does. Um, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I, I got that report in advance and, um, and I, I, from a reporter, and they asked me, what do you think? And I, and I said, you know, I, I, I'm not a, to be honest, I'll be perfectly frank with you, I'm not a suicidal person, but I would try to find a way to kill myself before I went to a nursing home, because it's just, what chance do you have? Do you have dementia or something? That's, I mean, that is outrageous, but that, that is, and again, this is a multi-billion dollar industry just in New York. It's heartbreaking. It's honestly, it's, but again, you know, there's things that we can do. And uh, I, I feel optimistic again. You know, we have 
better standards coming through. But if we're equipped as advocates, and you're all advocates, as ombudsmen to go in there and to help families and to help residents to understand what their rights are, then we can make a difference. And we can push back against those staff things. We can push back <laughs> against pro care. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Something you just said about helping residents and families. In the facility on the sign here, uh, a foot and half of these people, these residents, uh, do not have family coverage. If you add to that the people that are, have dementia, that are taking drugs, et cetera, et cetera, what I go into the facility, I have a lot of trouble communicating with them trying to find out a problem. Um, I'm not sure what my question is, but given all of that, how do you cut through that? It's very difficult. I mean, it is, it is very, very difficult. I would say, you know, we, we, it's something that I think a lot about, you know, and I think, you know, thinking about how can we, uh, as you can see here with the work that, you know, that I'm doing here today is how can we put more resources into helping you all to, to, to be as effective as possible? How can we, through you and, and ourselves, help um, resident councils and family councils develop? Because uh, for instance, there was, there was a study that was done a couple of years ago that I found in nursing homes that have an active family council, resident care is better for all the residents, whether or not they had a family member there. So things like that is, a, you know, ways that we can push back. And I think, you know, for ombudsmen and when I go into a facility as an advocate is I use my nose, I use my, my eyes and, and my, my ears to see if someone is moaning. I know that there's a problem with that. If someone is crying. That shouldn't be happening. If you see a lot of people that are slumped over, that is an indication to me that there might be inappropriate drugging going on, which is a, another big issue for us. I put in everyone's folder, this, this purple, it's two-sided. And what I've asked everyone is to, you know, write the name of the facility where they're assigned and who the administrator is, if there's an assistant administrator, if there's a director of social work, obviously a nursing director, food services director, but I've also included the resident council president and the family council president. And if I, I've asked you to ask them what is the best way to contact them by phone, their email, and the day and the time that meetings are usually held. Because I'm going to make a big push in, in the coming months that we really try and energize these resident and family councils. So if I have this information, I can call them, I can email them, and we have what's called leadership councils, where we have the presidents of the family councils and resident councils come together to talk about issues. So with this information, we're going to compile it and create a database for our region. So I, I you know, make a plea that everyone please complete the state of facility and in the back where you can return it to in our office. Then you would write this. You would let me know that there's no resident council. I need to know those statistics, like how many facilities don't have I know. That's the problem. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yes, sir. I don't know if I could get you in the house, but instead of looking at the problem, you have to trust. Why don't you see the problem that becomes one by one? Because it's a complicated case instead of a general problem. Well, what do you mean? If you have a case right in front of you, deal with it. Instead of thinking of the bigger problem. 
Well, that's what the Amazon do. I mean, and and we have there's some like yeah, yeah. That, that's, so what we do is you know as, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are a coalition which includes Amazon programs and, and Alzheimer's Association, et cetera. So we take a lot of those issues. We wouldn't have. I'm not. It's not certainly my doing, but we wouldn't have the changes to the regulations that hopefully will improve things if it wasn't for people like me and other groups that work like me, you know, kind of funneling in what you're doing to make the changes over. So I want to, what I'm trying to do here and with our monthly program is to circle back and kind of feed into that so then you're better equipped to do the more individual advocacy. Uh, and there's some lawyers, we, you know, we try to bring in lawyers and, and, and geriatric care managers, you know, other people who are working with residents and with families. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in more motivation, less regulation. And I feel that if you nursing homes uh, have a score, that uh, just like the restaurant in New York, if I go to a restaurant in New York and it is an A, I'm not going to go in there to eat. And they should have to post, give them an A, give them a B, give them a C, and put it right there when you walk in. Well, I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with you. I think that, <laughs> that you're, especially when you're caring for so people who are vulnerable as this, that we need to have those standards. And you wouldn't, I mean, scores are based upon standards. Scores are they're always based upon, even if you took up at a restaurant, they're based I'm upon standards. I'm not saying that they're not standards. I'm just saying that there's no public, you know, publicizing in a well, way that people who are about to put their money well, into a place. They can go online. They can go online and look um, at the ratings. Yeah, they, put it on the and they could, and they could also, and as, as you've said, the surveys are right there, so they they can they can look at the surveys. Yeah, I just feel like uh, yeah. manager's observation. Sure. Just last year, we did exactly that. We went on um, nursing home compare. You had to put my mother-in-law for rehab. She broke her hip, and I we, we chose one based on its star rating. It was a four to five, and even that. I'm not going to take any more questions. I want to make sure we finish the program. But I just want to say there was an excellent study that came out about 10 years ago now that found that any rating system for for nursing homes, that they're much better at identifying poorly performing facilities than they are the good ones. And so what that means is that if you are looking at a one-star facility like Wisconsin or a two-star facility, you can be pretty sure that it's a really crummy facility. If you have a three-star facility or four or five, that doesn't mean it's a great facility. It only means that 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 that, that yeah. It only means that either things. It could mean that things weren't found. A lot of the information that right now on nursing homes is self-reported. So nursing homes systemically lie about about their staffing level, for instance, about their quality measures. We're, in the monthly programs that I'm doing, and I hope that you'll join us. It's one hour every month. Um, we're going to be talking about nursing home compare, how to use it, and some of the changes that are going on in nursing home compare this year. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the standards, and then I'll move on to to, to just um, I'll talk about a couple of specifics. So as I mentioned before, in 1987 we had the Nursing Home Reform Law, 
following years of really scandalous conditions in nursing homes and very little oversight. So that reform law is what calls for every resident having the right to receive the quality of care that he or she needs to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable well-being. I know it's a mouthful, but to me, again, it's so important. Um, I give two examples here. One is that, as I mentioned before, if I can go to the bathroom with assistance, I should not be put into a diaper because it's more convenient for staff. Another one, this gets to quality of life, is if I like being around other people, say for our Bible study, uh, I like to go to current events discussion, I want to go to my church, etc. bingo should not be the only social activity that the nursing home is providing. <laughs> <laughs> but it, sh it shouldn't be the only thing. Um, so I had a question here, but I'm going to move on because we've, we've had a lot of discussion. But I just wanted you to think about it. You can maybe think about for yourself. What would you hope to maintain if you went to a nursing home? You needed 24-hour-a-day care or monitoring. What would you want to be able to continue to do? Um, for instance, I would like to be able to continue to take a shower um, every morning. And maybe I realized I had, maybe I had a compromise, so maybe I, I twice a week or something like that. You know, but I want to take a shower. I don't like taking a bath. Um, those are, and I'd rather do it in the morning. I don't want to do it in the day, and I don't want to do it at night. But then at night, then that would wake me up, because that's how I am. Other people like to take a bath at night. Um, the nursing home is supposed to be providing that, it's supposed to be meeting my schedule. And a lot of the new, I know we laugh, but that's, but that is what they're required to do. And a lot of what we talk about in the new regulations talk about specifics. Again, that's why my mind regulations are so important. They talk about specifics of what is interviewing residents from the surveys, interviewing them and saying, what is going on in your life? Are your needs being met in this way? What about if you can walk? Yeah, I do. But I'm gonna I'm gonna move on so I only have about twenty minutes and I wanna make sure we, we cover everything. Are you going to give a um a class on the specific regulations? Yes, yeah, so that's what regulations. Yes. Right. So what what I'm doing now is uh and I have contact information for this at uh at the end of the program, but every month we do a program that focuses on a different regulation. And then for each one of those programs, we do a fact sheet. Um, In your folder, this is the June 20th. Right, for next week. So in a previous folder, I think it's the last meeting, um, I put the schedule of all the webinars for the rest of the year on, you know, on colored paper. But, you know, I can certainly get that out to you. And What's really good news is that you, is that the state ombudsman's office is going to allow you to get credit for an in-service if you call into one of these webinars. And at the end of the webinar, you take a short survey, your name, drop-down box, Suffolk County, and then I get an email in a week, and I know that you attended the webinar, and you'll get credit for that. There's some of you where it's hard for you to come in person to an in-service training, now you also have an opportunity to go online and listen to the webinar and get credit for it. So that's like 
Yeah. New development. So happy Thank to support you. that. Yeah. So, and we're also going to have a conference at the end of the year. We're going to have a half-day half conference that we're inviting people who have food and everything in the city to come, and we're going to bring in, it'll be me and an expert from, from D.C., and we're going to talk about the new regulation and what's going on. So we'll have a couple of opportunities to do that. And then I'm also the re recording, as I'm doing today, thank you, I'm recording the program, so they're available to watch on our um, website. We have actually a little YouTube um, box right on the front page, and you can click on that, and all of them are recorded, and they're up there. So here's just a time frame, really, of, of where we are, just to let you know, and gentlemen asked before about implementation. So in 1987, we had the nursing home reform law. In 1991 is when the regulations came out implementing the law. So there was the law, and then the regulations came out. Those regulations have been in effect now for over 25 years. So that's another thing. When your nursing home says, oh, I didn't know about something, <laughs> or the nursing home says, I don't know what to do with someone with dementia, so I have to give them an antipsychotic, well, no. These, these things have been around for 25 to 25 years. Um, in 2014, CMS announced that it was planning to revise the regulations. And then last October, they published them. And the regulations are coming out, as we talked a little bit about before, in three phases. So the first phase was last November. The next phase is this November in a few months. And then the final phase is in 2019. Now, that could change that the industry, as I said, is very powerful. They want to push back. They don't want to have any, any standards or any requirements. But I'm hoping that we'll be able to continue with this, and we'll certainly be letting people know. So last year what they did in phase one is that basically anything that there was no real change from the previous regulation, they just carried over. This year, in 2017, they're implementing some of the things that were more substantial changes. Also, what's happening this, this year in 2017 is that they're implementing, excuse me, they're coming out with new guidelines. So each regulatory standard, for instance, that you can't give someone an antipsychotic drug without a clinical indication. You can't just give people with dementia antipsychotic drugs. Um, it, it, it explains, the, the guidance explains, well, what, what exactly are our expectations? The guidance talks about, well, if you have someone with dementia who is crying or lashing out or something, you have a responsibility to provide non-pharmacological intervention to help them. Uh, so sometimes people will cry out and we do a lot of programs on this. I'm always happy to talk about it. But sometimes someone will, will act out, will cry out or lash out or scratch because they're scared, um, because they're bored, because they're constipated. I mean, if you're constipated, you, 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 know, you haven't gone to the bathroom a couple of days, excuse me, for example, and your stomach hurts and you feel pain and uncomfortable, you can say something. Or you can go down to, to you know, CDS or whatever and get an x lap but if you're in a nursing home, you have dementia, you just, it's all building up inside of you. So how you cry, you may lash out because you're in pain and you're expressing yourself. So all dementia, so-called behaviors, are expressions. They're communication. And nursing, so the guidelines are just coming out that, that really flesh this out for nursing homes, for surveyors, and for us are coming out at, uh, at the end of this year as we're going to the effective end this year. So that's why, again, why it's so important for us to know the regulations. Because we're, we're already hearing from nursing homes, oh, 
we didn't know we were supposed to do that. Oh, we didn't know. You know, I didn't know how to do that. No one told us. Um, no, they're getting a lot of education on this, but it's, again, you know, even more important, I would say, for us to know these are what our rights are. And again, you don't have to memorize all of them. You know you can come back to look at the fact sheet. So 2017, this year, will be really important. Uh, now, I've been involved with CMS in development on these guidelines. There's a stakeholder group that they put together. I was down in Baltimore for a full week in January and a full week in February giving them feedback. So I am here. The reason why I mentioned that I am here for the program and for the other programs across the state to provide as much guidance as I can once, once that comes out because I really unfortunately read hundreds of hundreds of pages about it over and over again um, to, you know, to talk about it with them. So we, we really have a good level of expertise that we want to share with you in any way that it's valuable. So a couple of things about what's going on in terms of federal regulation, just a couple of highlights. And you have this all in your, um, you have a copy of the presentation, resident dignity. So the regulations now say, this is actually what I took from the regulation, not using plastic forks and paper plates in the dining room on a regular basis. This is a resident's home. And maybe they, maybe they're going to have to have wet your china or Mikasa or whatever, but they have to have a plate. So I'm not sitting there like um, a kindergarten student. That's not appropriate. But sometimes you have a birthday party, sometimes you have Christmas time and everyone's eating something, then maybe you would have paper plates or something. But generally speaking, if you're seeing that, that to me sends a message that we're not treating our residents like people. Um, calling residents by their name. You know, Mrs. Samuels, not sweetie. Now, some people like being called dear or sweetie, but a lot of people don't. A lot of older people that I know find it demeaning when someone younger comes in and just starts calling them sweetie. So there's actually, this is just a highlight, a lot of examples. And I always like to say that people, you know, poo-poo, you know, resident dignity and quality of life stuff. But to me, I've never gone into a nursing home where the quality of life was horrible, the care was good. These things go hand in hand. If I'm seeing people that are, you know, seeing something over in front of their food, the food looks crappy, they're getting cold food, um, they're not being served in a nice way. I'm not saying waiters in, you know, with, with, you know, in uniform, but just served if you want to eat, in, you know, in, in your home, then it's not like the care is going to be great. It, it, those things go hand in hand. And from the resident perspective, if you're not being being given food, for instance, in a way that is that's going to make you want to eat, malnourishment is a big issue for for, for those. Uh, you're making sure that the food is good. Now, I may not get filet mignon. I understand that. I may not get lobster, but to have food that is appropriate for me uh, as an individual is is important. Not just, you know, my, my aunt who was in, in um, on the concert got a cheese sandwich every night. Because she didn't like the food, the only substitute they had was a cheese sandwich. That's not acceptable. Um, so, you know, safe environment. We just did a program on this. I think I might have a hand on that. So residents have a right to a safe, clean, comfortable, home-like environment. We see this is one of the biggest citations that we see that the, the scalding water, the facility, it's actually a Suffolk County facility, and, um, that I looked at in the study I did last year, Hillier, I think it is. I don't know if anyone has. Hilaire. Yeah, Hilaire, thank you. Um, I believe it was Hilaire, that they had citation after citation for unsafe water temperatures. People can squall very quickly, especially when you're older and your skin is delicate. That's an important, again, it's like it's, the standard is so important. 
um, grievances. And the gentleman said they might be making a backtracking on these grievances. We are going to fight against that happening. But right now, the requirement is that they have a grievance officer. Grievances can be made anonymously, and the resident has the right, the family has the right to have a grievance response in writing. Within how long? Well, the, the, it depends upon the issue, but the grievance officer also has to tell you when you can expect the response. So those are part, that's part of the new regulation. Does it have to be posted in the visible spot for the grievance officer? I believe that it does. I believe that it does. But it should be readily available because it has to be an assigned person. Um, so again, it's, I mean, I think it's really important, as I mentioned, just one second, so I'm going to finish up um, because I want to make sure we, we have time to do that. Um, it, it's up to us to know our rights. I just don't feel comfortable counting on the nursing homes because they've not done a good job in the past. Unfortunately, quite often the surveyors don't do a good job of understanding what residents' rights are, of really being able to hold providers accountable, even when they do know the standards. But now with all these changes taking place, all the numbers have changed, all the ways in which the, the nursing survey is cited in the past have changed, that it's going to be even more important for us to know, hey, you know, I see something's going on here, or, you know, family members says they weren't allowed to ask questions or weren't allowed to participate in the care planning, you know, this is something that we can advocate on because they, you know, they don't have to have it at three o'clock in the morning, but they can't only give one day and one time for a family, you know, for a family care planning session. You know, you know what I'm saying? So they have to be open to, um, to the needs of the residents and the families. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're doing three monthly trainings. We have a free handout. We have the presentation materials I mentioned before on our website. We're consolidating everything on nursinghome411.org. So in the midst of doing that, but we really tried to clean up our website and make it more user-friendly for um, people to find information. And then one of the things I want to mention, which I mentioned before, is how important it is for your record-keeping and for your reporting. And I know it's a pain in the neck. Believe me. Um, yeah, sure. Again, um, you know, in your folders, I included some more um, volunteer, you know, monthly activity reporting form, and then the complaint form. You know, I just want you to be aware that last year in Suffolk County, we only received 37 complaints. That's a, a very low number. And statewide, we only collected 700 complaints. 700. So I'm going to ask everyone if they could please, each one of you, can, you know, fill out a complaint form on a monthly, if you can't do it monthly, on a quarterly basis. You know, Richard needs to know. The state ombudsman office, they need to know. They see the trends from the complaints that come in and also the activity, the codes that you use. So they'll see over and over again residents' rights, residents' rights, you know, whatever it might be. Your reporting is essential to this program. It also drives the funding for our program. <laughs> and thanks, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I thanks. appreciate it. Has anything been done about increased it was voted down again, yeah. Yeah. It was voted down. It's, it's, the gentleman's asking the personal needs allowance, yeah. We, we've been advocating for that. Many years ago. 1982. Wow.
and feeling strong. So this is just coming in there. And if there's anything we can do or should do, is to give that a chance. I mean, I think continue speaking out on, on all these issues. And that's, again... legislators around the state. They, uh, too often they think about or talk about the nursing home owners as their constituents rather than the residents and the families as being their constituents. So they can hear from us and one way that they hear from you in particular that we hear from you as you just said was through the reporting. So I know it's it's not easy but it's really you know as I, as I said from the start what you guys do is really special and really important. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And we have 76 facilities, long-term care facilities in Suffolk, and we are 92 ombudsmen. So if everyone filled out a complaint, just one, yeah. that would be 1,200 in a year. Yeah. Is there any possibility of simplifying the complaint? Well, why don't you brought that up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't believe they're going, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're going to address that or relax that. But I met with several ombudsmen yesterday, actually, to talk about the reporting forms. I asked for some volunteers to come meet about a focus group. I took their feedback, and I'm sharing it with the state, because I believe that they're looking at the reporting forms. And if I, I've asked them to consolidate. I've asked them to make them, you know, more user-friendly. Mm -hmm. So that is being worked at. So I just want you to be aware if we can, I just want to make sure that we finish the, the program yeah. here because yeah. that's a little bit separate. Um, so here is, I just gave an example of one of the fact sheets, uh, and I think this is also in your um, uh, in your package. On, you know, we have a fact sheet on antipsychotic drugging, that you received a fact sheet on resident and family council, and a fact sheet on informed consent. All of these are on our website, plus many more. We actually just came out with a dementia care advocacy toolkit that's on our website as well under the Learning Center that has all these schools that put together based upon a year and a half um, project that we did with resident and family councils in uh, two nursing homes in New York City. Uh, thank you. So thank you very much. Here also is some information. Please contact us before nlpccc.org uh, if you want to receive our newsletter, get action alerts, and I think that's it. So the gentleman in the back had a question. No. I mean, they may, but they don't have to. Yes, ma'am. You know, nursing homes have a very high incidence of urinary tract infections and uh, infections. How is that going to be? Well, that, that's a very good question. The um, the issue of infections, I mean, it, it's actually it's come out study recently about this and about the, the high level of of uh, antibiotic resistant infections.
Nursing homes, again, you know, this gets back at, at something that, that is important in terms of the quality of care that's going on, but nursing homes are accountable for, um, for meeting the needs of their residents. So how is it being addressed? I would speak to the, to be honest, to the individual nursing homes and talking to them about it, because as a provider, if you went to a doctor and you weren't getting the care that you need, you complain to, to the doctor. I think also. Well, that's again, that, that speaks exactly to what are the practices in the facility? What are the practices going on in the facility? What bothers me, by the way, before we move on, is that the nursing homes are paid to have knowledge about this and are paid to take these precautions. This is not anything new. Um, so we've talked a lot with, I mean, not us, but with the industry over the years in terms of people being sent to the, to the hospital too frequently, too often they, they, you know, they come, they don't get the care that they need in the nursing home, so they bounce back and forth to the hospital, how dangerous that is, how expensive that is, unnecessarily expensive to the system. So there's some ways in which systemically the government is looking into these issues but really it gets back to the, the practices and the appropriate practices on the facility level and whether they are safeguarding their residents, which is their fundamental job. Uh, take one more question. Oh, I have to do one. Okay, sure. The nursing home 401.org, is that a national um, address or is that just for New York State? Um, it, well, it's our, our organization and we do both state and national work. So. Most of it is, I mean, all the things we talk about are the federal regulations, unless we specify that it's something related to New York. If you have family in other states. You can certainly, yeah, they can, yeah they, can, they can certainly use those resources. Okay, and the other thing is, um, do we do any of these programs directly to um, our legislators so that they're better informed about all these issues? And we, they're the ones yeah. that control the first strings more or less? Or the, the regulations? Uh, we do, I do outreach to, to legislative, legislative offices. Um, we do, we do distribute a lot to, especially to the health and aging committees in New York State. But we're, and we're a very small organization, by the way. It's myself and, um, besides our Amazon program staff, it's myself and, and uh, Sarah, who's our office manager, and we have, um, two part-time people. So, uh, and very part of the rest. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, we don't have a lot of capacity. That's why I said, you know, we, we can't help with individual problems, unfortunately. We just don't have the capacity. But if you have, you know, questions and larger issues, we can try to, you know, please use our website and we, you know, can come back and do trainings, you know, at programs you guys. You're up against the nursing home lobby. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thank you everyone very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think I know you.